Welcome to another episode of the Go With John Show. Today, uh, we have Justin Messer, Chief Operating Officer of Prosperity Mortgage. Justin, thank you for coming in. Hey, thanks. So, Justin, I guess, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. I know you're a dad. I know you're into college football. So tell us a little bit about your kids and what are they into and what are you into with them? Yeah. Well, kids are six and four, so uh, they're not into much. I mean, it's real simple stuff. Uh, you know, we did a Cub Scout hike last week, uh, a little bit of basketball. Right. Trying to get out of the granny shots and into the overhand shots with my son, who's six. Uh, yeah. You know, we, you know, it was it was interesting having kids that age coming up through, like, the last COVID stuff that happened, right? Just right. Just trying to navigate it. And, you know, fortunately, it was a mix between kind of in-person and virtual school. And, and you know, my wonderful wife, who uh, who basically, you know, tends the house, uh, you know, while, I, while I'm out doing whatever, uh, you know, she did a great job navigating through that, and it's just it's just been wild, you know. Yeah. So so dad first naturally, and uh, and uh, fortunately, I just have a uh, have a wonderfully supportive wife who uh, who really takes care of runs the show uh, at home for me, and and that includes uh, as you said, kind of Saturdays. But you know, I I really wish I had more hobbies. Yeah, uh, it's kind of sad I don't. Right, um, my <laughs> hobbies are like college football and wine. Right. Uh, that's about it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so are you so, a red drinker or a white drinker? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm indiscriminate. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, if you look at my cellar, it's mostly red. Okay. Uh, but, uh, I also, uh, spend some time like up in Northern Michigan and you know, you don't drink much of the red up there. You, you right. focus on the whites and you know, that sort of thing. So I'll hit some whites as well, but, yeah. uh, but that's, that's about it. Good. Well, it's actually, you know, I've got, I've got, my kids just turned 13. I have twins and, go. uh, you know, to, to, to have COVID with young kids and to have to go through that, I think, is a lot better than the folks that I've been working with, you know, in my real estate practice that have kids that are like teenagers, right? Because it was absolute murder for them where their kids thought they were just getting ready to get out of the house and all of a sudden COVID hits and they're back locked down with their parents and wasn't good for the parents or the kids. I, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would be a disaster. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. six years old, you know, for, from, for me, from five years going forward was was a lot of fun once my kids got to five so you're I think you're getting kind of right into the uh right into the uh, sweet spot well you know one thing is it was like a very eye-opening thing whereas I think until they got to be six so like when my son was five and my daughter was three like I still had some control over my schedule mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I already see it being, you know, I might as well just wake up on Saturday morning and get an itinerary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, there's, yeah. there's no real, there's no real purpose in me planning anything. Uh, yeah. You know, outside of, outside of, uh, you know, their activities. Right. It gets worse. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Yeah. Okay. So you're chief uh, operating officer at Prosperity Mortgage. So tell us a little bit about what you do at work. Sure. So, um, you know, mortgage companies are have a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the most visible things, right, are really your, your sales associates or people out in the field. So mm -hmm. everything basically outside of that uh, in one way or another comes under my purview. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we talk about whether it's setting interest rates, whether it's managing profitability, whether it's interest rate risk. So, um, for example, if you approach your, your uh, loan officer and you'd say, I'd love to lock that interest rate of 3.25%. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes you lock it for 60 days. Um, probably in your business, you might lock it for 180 days in right. construction, right? right. Uh, that sort of thing. Someone has to actually protect it and make sure that that 3.25% is worth the same amount in 180 days that it was worth there. Mm -hmm. So you hedge that with interest rate risk management, right? So mm -hmm. that piece of the business reports up. So to how me. do you do that? Yeah. So, so, yeah. So generally what you do is um, you sell forward um, securities. So in other words, let's say the easiest way to, to think of it. Let me, let me think about this. Sure. Uh, 
let's say you're locking a million dollar loan today right. for 3.25%. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would take the underlying security that makes up the majority of the profitability of that loan. I would sell it forward to deliver to an investor in 120 days. Mm-hmm. So it's a derivative contract. I sell that gotcha. derivative contract forward for delivery in 120 days. The loan closes in 90. I get it you know, ready to go. I then put it into that security and deliver it to the investor. And so then my risk is minimized because of that. Otherwise, if I just say, yep, I'm going to give you 3.25%, and then when you close, if the prevailing rate is 4%, right. uh, I've now lost every single dollar and actually lost some money. Uh, right. You're paying them to finance their, their home. You, you got it. Yeah. So, so that's, in the, for example, when, you know, if anyone's ever had a lock extension, right? Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. why do I possibly have to pay a company uh, for 30 more days? And the reason is because technically I have to buy back that security that I sold for delivery and then sell a new one. Right. And there's an entire cost in that because now people are getting it 30 days later than they thought they were getting it. So, you know, mm-hmm. it costs a quarter or, you know, 25 basis points, whatever it happens to be uh, in order to do that. So that whole group comes up to me. So rate sheets, et cetera. Yeah. Um, products. So mortgage products, uh, credit policy. Um, and then, you know, uh, loan manufacturing. So in other words, the whole process of um, how a loan comes in the door to how it goes out the door mm-hmm. um, and then cleaning it up afterwards uh, as well. And, you know, that has been a big area um you know, where the focus has shifted really um, from what I would say all elbow grease. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd have a loan file and it would actually be a manila envelope. Right, right. And it would move from desk to desk to desk. Right. And there are companies that still operated like that just before the pandemic. So you can mm-hmm. imagine what happened when desks disappeared. Yes. Right. So, um, you know, the push for the last, you know, 15 years really has been how do we digitize that transaction and make it much easier mm-hmm. for, for all of our customers, you know, from my perspective, right? Whether it be the realtor, whether it be the borrower, or, or even our team members inside uh, who, you know, we also view as customers as well. How do we make it simpler for right, them? Right, right, right. So, you know, that kind of dovetails into the other group that comes up to me, which, you know, obviously in, in most companies, and I don't just say this to sound cool, but uh, technology ends up taking up the, uh, the majority of the time now in focus. And mm-hmm. it's really tough to say what is technology and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you look at every problem that arises in your company, you take a step back and a lot of times the best solution doesn't necessarily involve a huge technology push, mm-hmm. but it's hard for people to understand that because immediately you go, well, technology should fix it. Right. Right. And immediately you want to make an investment and say, well, we should automate this or we should do this. And sometimes that's the answer. Um, you know, like we like to say, you know, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of picking and choosing uh, where those where those kind of um, projects right, fit right. Is, is really important. Yeah, it's amazing. You do everything electronically through the whole entire loan process, and then you print it all out at the end so you can get it to the settlement table on paper. It's it's nauseating. It is, um, isn't and, it? And, but then you have to scan it all back in, right, after it's signed. No comment. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and then you have to mail it back. Um, yeah. And let's just be honest. I mean, I mean, you know, the UPS, FedEx, et cetera, I mean, they had the same disruptions that everyone else had with right. the beginning of COVID. So it was right. chaos. I mean, there would be notes we were tracking down, you know, and it's it, anything can disrupt that process, which is why yeah. it's so broken. Right. You talk about this when the ice storms hit in Texas. Mm-hmm. Right. All of a sudden, UPS lost 52 notes. Right. And so we spent the next two weeks hunting down these 52 notes and trying to tell, you know, homeowners who, you know, you know, I don't know, probably half of them were first time home buyers. Right. And you say, hey, by the way, we don't have your note. Right. And they go, what does that mean? Are yeah. you going to take my house? You know, yeah. and you have to explain to them, well, no, it's not a problem. Yeah. Like, 
we'll either find them, shred them, you know, we have solutions for it, but it's just that uneasiness that creates it. And it's mm-hmm. like, we have this very antiquated piece of the process. You hit dead on it. Yeah. And, you know, we're moving light speed ahead uh, in terms of full e-close. I mean, you know, our company prosperity is, is at what we call hybrid e-close, which mm-hmm. means we really only have to print off, you know, five, six documents at closing in That's most cases. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not bad. It's still, why do you have to meet someone face to face and do all this and go through it? But well, I think it probably helps uh, prevent fraud, right? Because there's a lot of fraud in the real estate industry. Yeah. I mean, take a step back, though. How many things can you do online where you can verify identity effectively? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I think that's one of the things. Plus, you know, ideally, you've gone through the transaction. And for us, at least, since we're primarily real realtor affiliate, right? Mm-hmm. What do we have? We have a realtor that we trust yep. in the uh, process. We have a loan consultant that we trust right. in the process who yeah. all are kind of keeping their eyes and ears open for Looking something. Looking for flags. Right? Yeah. 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 And we yeah. have, you know, third parties all over the place, whether it be an appraiser, et cetera. So I think that the system's a lot sounder today mm-hmm. than it was historically. Mm-hmm. Um, at the closing table, verifying identity, I think you can actually do a better job uh, than just face to face. I mean, it's like with all things digital. Right. Um, you know, people say, I don't like to link. Why would you underwrite a file with linked digital bank statements as opposed to bank statements that someone provides. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for someone, or I would say highly unlikely and difficult for someone to falsify digitally linked documents that are linked from your bank directly to your lender. Right. Right. So we're, right. we're increasing the, the, you know, soundness of the transaction constantly as we mm-hmm. move down the digital transaction route. It's yeah. not a matter of, uh, oh, we're becoming loose. And I mean, I think that a big disservice happened in terms of mental ideas when Rocket came out. And I used to work for Rocket. Let me let me be transparent sure. about that. But when Rocket came out with the Super Bowl commercial, that was like push button, get mortgage. Right. Right. I loved it. Yeah. And it was a jaw drop moment for me where I knew the game had changed. Right. Because it was one of those things where, you know, you had a million irons in the fire to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And someone beat you to the punch and they did it in the Super Bowl. Right. Right. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, right. But that harkened back to everyone the ease of credit that occurred pre-crisis last time. Right. right? And really that's not what it was, right? Right. It's all of this documentation, like it's only happening on, you know, let's just, let's just make up a number here. One out of 10, one out of 20 transactions that are actually like that. Cause it is the people who are provable W2, you know them, you know where they work, you know their bank account, you yeah. know exactly how much they can make. Not only that, these aren't people who are pushing the threshold and affordability. Right. right? These are, let's right. call it, you know, people that are, are only paying a quarter of their of their gross income to all of their debts right, for the most right, part, right? right. So, so these are pretty vanilla people uh, in terms of in terms of the transaction. It's not right. someone that owns 22 companies and 10 properties. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the most vanilla of the vanilla yeah. uh, stuff out there. So from that standpoint, the push button get mortgage is not a bad risk. Right. It's not leading us down a bad credit path. It's right. not leading us to a negative spot. Could it get there? Of yeah. course. Yep, is yep, it there yep. today? Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, I think I think really what got us into trouble in in 07, 08 was that whole stated income thing, right? Where you could just uh, go to a bank and sign a statement that you made X. That was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a, there was a lot of things that that led to that. And I mean, yeah. Um, you know, when you take a step back and and I think people get nervous whenever housing gets hot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. They, for sure. And they look back and they say, "Okay, is this a pending doom situation, mm-hmm. or is this a all aboard situation where we should be invested in rental properties?" Right. Um, and and you know, just just really quickly, you know, the economy is is in much better shape, and not only that, 
um, the individual American household is in much better shape financially. Right. I mean, if you talk about the differences then versus now, um, I think the numbers are like in right pre-crisis, uh, people were like eight and a half percent of their disposable income was used on housing. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, three percent, three and a half percent, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is an all time low. Right. Uh, if you look at other factors like um, just housing specifically, uh, vacancy rates, right? So they were up north of 3%, which means we were just building and building and building and people were buying without mm-hmm. any idea of what to do with the houses, right? right. So upwards of 3%. Now we're like sub 0.9%, which is the lowest on record since like the 60s. Right, right. Um, you know, if you look at the momentum, which is really the supply and demand issue we have with housing, like you have a tremendous amount of people that really, really want to buy a house in the mm-hmm. next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look, half of those people are first time home buyers. Right. So it's not people that are moving up or out. It's there. You know, rents continue to get expensive. Yep. So the entire ecosystem seems pretty healthy right now. It does. No, I would agree with you. Absolutely. And I think uh, there's been a shortage of new home building for the last decade, you know, and that and that's. Uh, going to take a long time for the uh, industry to catch up on. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we look at sales, what, eight to 900,000 units a year are new Mm -hmm. homes and 5.5 million are existing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know, 10, 12% of the market is are are new homes. And, you know, that was an interesting thing when you connected the dots and led it from the last crisis. And we're in an interesting inflection point with work and labor right now. But if you look back to that one, that craft construction, new construction, et cetera, mm-hmm. it blew up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you had all of these people that were skilled trades or whatever, they had to go yep. find new careers. Yep. And yep. what happened is a lot of those people didn't return to that industry. That's correct. Right? So yep. the weird thing that happened is it kind of distilled out a lot of the, you know, what we'd call affordable starter home, track mm-hmm. home type new builds. Mm-hmm. And everything seemed to trend more, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this. I, I would do the same thing because everyone's an entrepreneur, right? More mm-hmm. custom Homes, because if you only right. have so much labor, you're going to use it to yield the highest result, right? Yep, yep. And so that had a lot to do with a lot of the custom home. So if you look at, like, you know, the price of new home construction has gone up precipitously. Absolutely. Since then. So you have a yep. lot more of that, and that labor is not necessarily coming back and never had come back, right? right. And now you hit this disruption. Not only do you have a labor disruption where mm-hmm. people aren't working and, yeah. you know, not to get into the politics of that, whether that mattered or not, I have right, no idea. Right, right, right. But secondly, you had, of course, you have the supply constraints. Yep. You had the labor, you know. And we're still going out. through it right now. You got yeah. it. Yeah. So, so there's actually right now there's more new homes, single family homes under construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it actually is exactly the same as it was in 06, 07 or 506. Mm-hmm. Right. So the number of homes under construction, you look at that and you say, fantastic. But there's like a counter argument, I think, which is like, because we can't deliver them. Right, right. <laughs> it's like right, the cars. Well, they're, and they're taking yeah. a lot longer to build. That's what I'm right? saying, right. So if it, if it took, you know, two years ago, if you could build a new home in four months, now it's taking sometimes seven, eight, nine, ten months, right? So your your stats are skewed because you your, your delivery time is longer. 100%. I mean, the, yeah. the most obvious thing for people to think about is like, I think that it's prevalent enough in the news around like autos. Mm-hmm. If you looked at the number of automobiles under construction right now, it would mm-hmm. be wild because they're all sitting in parking lots <laughs> waiting, waiting for, for microchips, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I ordered a uh, an electric 
uh, Ford Mustang. Yeah. The Mach-E, right? Yeah. I ordered it like, I don't know. I, I was like order number 4,000. I got it two weeks ago. <laughs> it took like two years to get this thing, wow. right? It was, I, I don't know, not exactly, but yeah. you know, it was it just felt remarkable. Like two years. Well, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was, it was done at the beginning of the year sitting there. Yep. And you know, Wait it took six months. It took six months to get on freight to, yep. to get it delivered. It yep, was, yep. it was wild. So it's every industry. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting thing. And I mean, you know, actually, uh, if you want, I can even dovetail that into mortgage rates because it's all related. Yeah. Well, let's do that. We're going to take a quick break. We're uh, here with uh, Justin Messer, Chief Operating Officer of Prosperity Mortgage, and uh, we'll be right back. All right. We are back uh, with uh, Justin Messer, Chief Operating Officer of Prosperity Mortgage. So, so tell us about, so you ordered your Mustang. How long ago did you order it? You said it was two years, but I know it felt like two years. I don't even so, remember. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, it didn't even register on me. I remember when I did it uh, yeah. in terms of the moment yeah. uh, because it was like I was watching the release uh, on TV and I'm right. from right outside Detroit. So Ford's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, like growing up, I thought Ford was the biggest auto company. I didn't know General Motors was bigger because yeah. it was like <laughs> Ford country where I grew up. Yeah. So I was watching it and I, I said to my wife, hey, I, you know what? I'm just going to order this thing and see what happens. Um, but, you know, it must have been a year and a half. I mean, wow, it was, it was whatever release was to two weeks ago. So yeah, uh, whatever that was. Yeah. yeah. So how do you like the car? It's fantastic. I yeah. mean, it's the first electric car I've ever driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did my first like charging yesterday mm-hmm. uh, in the wild. It was very easy. It was yeah. not. It was not uh, crazy. But it's really fast. So so it's um it's a little like too fast for someone like me. I'm not a great driver. Uh, <laughs> so like, but the good thing is you know on on freeways around Metro DC you kind of got to dart in and out every now and again. So right. it's really useful. But it's it's a beautiful car. The interior is, is fantastic. I have a, it's a it's a GT version, so it's really nice. Right, wheels are fantastic. Right. Sharp looking car. Would expect um, nothing less. Yeah, right? there <laughs> you go. Uh, but uh, but you know it's the the speed of it, and you know I know everyone talks about the torque. Yeah, uh, and everything, and, and it's just it's something. I mean, you hit your pedal on the on the gas, and you're at 50 miles per hour in, in you know two seconds. Wow, it's it's, it's remarkable. And you know one cool thing is uh, I didn't know how much of a like club electric vehicles were. Mm-hmm. Until I got it, and then all of a sudden, people in my neighborhood who never talked to me started talking to me because they have Teslas. Right, and they're like, you know, we made the decision that we're going to accept you into our group, even though you have a Ford, <laughs> uh, because you're, you're part of the momentum, you know, the yeah. movement. So, uh, yeah. but it's been a great experience so far. I, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, yeah, that's all I got. So it's four seater. It is. Yeah, you got to have like, back, you got to have room for the kids. It's like a little hatchback. Yeah. You know, it's that's how I mean it's it's an SUV technically, but it's it's a compact SUV. I mean, yeah. you could fit two sets of golf clubs in the back if you really uh really worked it around. Yeah, 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 but uh it's not it's not it's not huge. My my Taurus actually had more trunk space right. uh, than this guy. But. Right, right. Cool. So you said you were going to work the chip shortage into interest rates. Did I catch that right at the end of the last segment? I like the grand chip shortage. So the yeah. concept of, yeah. uh, of of everything. And and you know, it, it has it has something to do with 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 all of that. Mm-hmm. Um so uh including labor and not having the labor supply, right? So so um let's think of the best way to do this. Here we go. Sure. You know, we wouldn't, shouldn't have had that break, John. I was, I was on fire until then. Uh, so, so, um, so, so, you know, if we think about simple supply and demand, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, if I have, if I have this cell phone in my hand yes. and you really want it, yes. and this is the only cell phone on the market, right. you're willing to pay more than if there are five people behind me with the same cell phone willing to sell. Correct. Right. Um, therefore, if there is a scarcity of something, meaning a limited supply, Mm-hmm. I can demand more prices. Yes. So when we talk about something like used cars is a great example, right? So the chip shortage 
means there aren't many new cars available. Right. So if people need a car, because that's something that you need, it's a life necessity, Yes. right? If you have to have a car, you therefore have to go into the used car market in most mm -hmm. cases. Yep. Therefore, the used car market, right, as we've heard reported, that's why that is going so crazy. And, you know, prices are $5,000, $10,000 more than you would normally anticipate. Right. It's not only in cars, though, right? It's in a lot of things because it's hard to get anything right now. Mm -hmm. right? It's hard to get furniture. It's hard to get laptops. So mm -hmm. the people that need it immediately are willing to pay more money, mm -hmm. just like a house. Right. Houses are the number one thing that, you know, it's really funny. If we go to the grocery store and we're buying a thing of strawberries and it was $4 last week and it's $4.40 this week, we're, we're, we're irritated. Yeah. If we look at our house and it was worth 400000 and now it's worth 440000 we are the happiest people in the world. Right. It's like one of the areas where we root for inflation uh, yes. in the country, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so that's, that's one example, right? So, yeah. so that's like a, a supply-demand issue, right? The second thing we were talking about was labor, mm -hmm. okay? And so when people are either unwilling, unmotivated to go to work, or there are just more jobs than people need, mm -hmm. what happens? Mm -hmm. People shift jobs. They go back only if they demand more income, et cetera. Right. So- you know, let's just take it in the, in, the, in the simplest level, which is, you know, I think, you know, McDonald's jobs were probably like $13 an hour in a lot of markets. And now I've seen stuff that's like $20 right. an hour. Or right? 8 to 13. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, right? Exactly. Whatever, whatever the numbers what are, yeah. whatever the numbers are, right? They, yep. they increase dramatically. And Absolutely. there's no way that cost doesn't get passed through to your, your Big Macs, right. et cetera. They've gone eventually. up like a buck. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, it's hurting me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so all of those things are inflation, which means it costs more tomorrow than it did yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. Or than it does today. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why is inflation a big deal? Um, let me try to, let me try this one. Um, so I have a cup of coffee in front of me. Right. Okay. And I went to Dunkin' Donuts this morning and I, and I, and I bought this and let's say I, I spent a dollar on it. Right. Okay. So my option today was to take that dollar and buy that cup of coffee. Yeah. Or John, I could have lent it to you. Sure. Right. And the reason I lend it to you is because when you pay me back, I want to have made more money on that. So I want to have been, I want to be able to buy my cup of coffee and have some change left in my pocket. Right. So let's keep it simple and let's keep rolling down this analogy. Right. Okay. So today, instead of buying that cup of coffee, I came in with my dollar and I decided to lend it to you. Sure. And I said, John, you know, I'm going to charge you 5%. Mm -hmm. So next year, when we meet each other at this same spot, you're going to give me a dollar and five cents. Mm -hmm. Okay. So fast forward to a year, you pay me back that dollar and five cents. Just like we were saying with McDonald's or with anything else, if I walk into the Dunkin' Donuts and the coffee is now a dollar and seven cents, mm -hmm. I don't even have enough money to buy that cup right. of coffee. Right, you've lost two cents. I've lost two cents. Right. Even though in my head I said I made 5% on that, right. I really didn't, I lost two cents. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, I'm so, tracking, yep. So, so the entire world is based on this idea of how much stuff is gonna cost tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, interest rates, whether they be what we call the United States 10-year, that's just the interest rate people charge to lend the United States money. Right. Mortgage rates are just the interest rate that people charge you to finance your house. Right. They're all just loans. Yeah. Right? Yep, yep. So if we think prices are going to get way more expensive in the future, interest rates have to go up because you know the people lending the money mm -hmm. need to feel like or know that they have more money when they get it back right. than they did when they originally lent right, it. Right. So all of this stuff, whether it be labor, whether it be supply constraints, whatever it happens to be, you know, or a wage price spiral that we're in today where people get paid more money, so they're willing to pay more for stuff. Mm -hmm. All that stuff is all related, and it all comes down to why interest rates, 
it's odd that they haven't increased much more quickly right. um, because everyone thinks this inflation thing might be temporary. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Do you think it's temporary? I think we're starting to see cracks that it's yeah. not. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you. Yeah, on that. It's, yeah. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to see through it to see why it would be temporary. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. There are areas you can look at just like with anything. Like today, right now, I could probably tell you two or three areas that I think are bubbles. Mm-hmm. I can tell you two or three areas that I think are temporary in inflation. Mm-hmm. Lumber was the classic example of something yep. that skyrocketed quickly. Yep. The world kind of all the buzzers went off. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of reset back. Right? Yes. So, so from that standpoint, there are areas that are like that. But this phenomenon that we're talking about, do we think that all of a sudden we're going to tell everyone that's making you know, $13 or $20 an hour at McDonald's and now they're going to make 10. Yeah. It's not going to happen. That, you don't put the, that genie back in the box. Right. Right. It's not, it's not only that all the, all of the, you know, just in my world with new home building, the subcontractors, you know, their, their employees are all demanding more money because they're hearing on the news, all the money that the home builders are making and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, all these people that have gotten raises, you're exactly right. They're not, they're not coming back down. The grocery store workers that are getting paid more uh, to come to work, right? It's it's uh, it's really amazing, and I, and I think really the crux of it is a lot of it. And again, you know, we don't do politics on this show, but there's been a lot of government money that's encouraged people to. Uh, I don't know if it encouraged them to stay home, but that was a byproduct of the of the uh, of the of the programs. Uh, we we spend about five hundred dollars a month on ads every month. And we've had literally nobody applying for our jobs for the last 18 months. And just in the last few weeks, we've started to get more and more people applying for jobs because the government money is running out. Coincidence? Maybe. Right. But I'm not sure. It's you know, there's it's it's interesting. You know, there's there's a lot of studying going on right now about that. And a lot a lot of people are looking at the states that removed benefits early versus yeah. the states that kept them on. And I think the original data pushed that there was definitely a correlation um, and now we're seeing it kind of loosen up a little bit right. to, to not necessarily be as strong. Yeah. You know, whether that, again, it, it's tough to know who's presenting the numbers is the key to look at. Yeah, it, right? and it doesn't matter that. how we got here, really, because we're here. Because everybody's had to pay more money to get people to come to work, whether it's because people didn't want to be in the grocery store because there was on, they were on the front line with COVID, right? So people needed to be paid more money to be encouraged to come in and do the job. But that and drives you know, grocery prices, among other things. And yeah. To be candid, I mean, most of this wage growth was seen in the lower portion of earners, which right. is very, very important. Yes. Right. And yes. I mean, I think that's a very positive trend. The thing, Agreed, yeah. the thing that's unfortunate is that it seems we have a lockstep inflation move along with it. So, yes. So once again, you know, inflation moving grocery prices, I mean, that's essentially a tax that impacts Everybody. people with but people with less income than more income. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because if if you have a hundred dollars in your pocket and you lose a dollar of it, it's a lot less impactful than if you have five dollars in your pocket and you lose right. a dollar of exactly. it. Exactly. So, so even though wages have increased, you know, the hope is that this inflation does tamp down mm-hmm. and that the wage growth continues. Because I mean wage growth is also one of the key factors to being able to support home price appreciation. Absolutely. If we don't have economic growth and wage growth, how the heck can we continue to support, you know, four to five, let alone 10% growth mm-hmm. uh, in, in home ownership, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, uh, or, or home price appreciation rather. Right. It's just, it's impossible. So you have to root for it. You yep. have to root for the American story uh, yep. and, and, and that sort of thing. So, so there are positives as long as that inflation, you know, remains, remains, uh, I would say, um, 
not out of control. How about that? Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. But it is. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. You know, they're getting more money, but they're spending more money to, to buy what they need. So uh, hopefully uh, there's some transitory uh, inflation that 100%. will. Yeah, that, that'll settle down. Great. All right. Well, we're going to take one more quick break and we're going to come back for our final segment with uh, Justin Messer, Chief Operating Officer of Prosperity Mortgage. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. <Yeah. laughs> so we're back with Justin Messer, Chief Operating Officer of uh, Prosperity Mortgage. So tell us a little bit about your college days. Where'd you go to college? I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. What a great town. It's you know, it's one of those rare towns. I, I think there there are several in uh, throughout the country where the campus is really um, part of the town. Right. It's not a small city. It's got a hundred plus thousand people in it. It's nice size, but uh, you know the campus is just all over the place in the in the city. So you mm -hmm. really feel like you're part of the city. Uh, and it's not like you know, it's not like NYU in Manhattan, right? It's right. instead it's it's just this great Midwest town. Uh, and it, it, I actually, so I lived there for eight years, but mm -hmm. I realized that when I told people I was in Ann Arbor for eight years, they thought I had like a master's degree or something. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I was there for four years. And then I lived above a bar for four years. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it, was, it wasn't anything like that, you know. But, right. Uh, so after college, you just stayed. I did. So a lot I, of people do that, actually, I think. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a magnet. When you get there, some people just stay. It is. And, you know, I had a lot of friends on the six and seven year plan uh, for undergrad. So, you right. know, they, they still stuck around. So it was, it was nice. And uh, yeah, I had a, I, I got a job just at, at, well, now it's called Rocket uh, Mortgage. And it wasn't always in downtown Detroit. It used to be in the, in the, in the suburbs a little bit. So it was a decent right. commute from Ann Arbor uh, for me there. Yeah. So, so how, you know, so I've spent a little time there, obviously not much, but, uh, I made, I made a comment during the break that it's cold up, uh, <laughs> up there. I was there in the wrong time of year. I've been there in summer and winter, but yeah. it's, uh, I, it would be hard for me to handle that, that winter, I think, but I guess it helps you focus on your studies. I'm not sure. No, it makes you stay in your room or yeah. your house and not, not go to class. It's right? terrible. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. The winters can, the winters can be brutal. And, you know, I, I would just say, uh, growing up, uh, in the upper Midwest, as we call it, uh, in Michigan. Right. The difference is it's not only the cold, it's that it's gray. Yeah. So you have, you have, it's like, you know, in Russia or something like you yeah. have like two, two months of gray sky. Right. Very rarely do you have a beautifully crisp blue sky day. Right. You know, maybe it has something to do with the lakes. I don't really know, but you yeah. know, the whole time until I moved to, to Northern Virginia uh, or DC actually like 10 years ago, right. the winter was beautiful and there were blue skies. And yeah. it was, although it was cold, it was wonderful. And yeah, uh, the further south you it, go, it actually, you get more blue. There you yeah. go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you, so did you go right from college to rocket mortgage? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I started right there as kind of a, uh, a trader. So a bond trader, interest rate risk management, uh, kind of that scope, uh, uh, trading mortgages, um, that sort of thing. So I came right out of school, did that, yeah. um, did that for, you know, almost six years and, yeah. then, and then came down to, uh, to, to DC. Cool. So what do you think? I'm going to throw you kind of a curveball here. Right. So what do you, what do you think? Cause you're obviously very successful. What are some of the keys to your success that you would potentially share with, with a youngster that's going to Michigan right now? So, so, um, Here's why I'm stopping. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the world looks like now. Mm -hmm. So when, when I was coming up, we were in the office. And that might seem like a weird thing for people five years from now. Right. I'm not sure. Right. So this is a big quandary I have around, you know, and a problem that, that I'm trying to struggle with with our organization, which is 
how do we identify talent? Right. How do we identify people who are grabbing stuff? Because right. here's here's how I came up. I came up just having a voracious curiosity. Yeah. Right? So my curiosity drove. I wanted to not offend people, but put my nose in everyone's business to right. understand how they did it, to understand their methods, to understand what happened. What did that mean? That meant a lot of late hours at the office. That mm-hmm. meant sitting there and figuring stuff out. That meant just grabbing onto projects and taking them off of people's plate when I saw mm-hmm. them working on it and say, hey, I'll run with this to the goal line, right? right. And I'll finish it. Right. And that's kind of how I established myself and what I did, which is I just worked really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I didn't, I, I, and I, and I really was passionate about it. Right. And right. I think no matter what you do, I mean, I didn't leave college being passionate about mortgages. You know, right. I, I mean, you know, when you took a step back, I mean, when you go your whole college life thinking you're going to work on wall street and you end up in a suburb of Detroit, you know, you immediately yeah. have to reset things and go, is this where I want to be? Little did I know that was the absolute best path that could ever happen for me. It right. was the, the blessing in disguise of my life. Um, so, so when we take a step back, I mean, how do you do that? How do you see what people are working on when everyone's working on their on their own, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. their own, in their own areas? I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. It's, right. it's something that keeps me up at night, to be candid with you. Yeah. No, no, I mean, we struggle with that, too. And I think my entire team and I, we talk about, you know, bringing new people into our into our world. You know, Nick and I have worked together in uh, Nick's our producer here in the room with us today. And uh, we, we, we worked together in the office before we went virtual, right? So we already know what each other's work ethic uh, is. And, you know, same, same with some other folks on the uh, on the team. But the new folks coming in, I think, have a real, um, you know, challenge for us, both for us and for them to fit into the team. You know, it's you don't you don't have the water cooler conversations and you really can't see the work ethic. You don't know if people are exactly getting to work on time and, you know, the things that are that, that you usually look to measure people. So it's, it's, and, it's a struggle. And something some some roles are easier to measure in terms of numbers and productivity mm-hmm. and widget making. Right. Right. And even that, like you say, OK, you know, team member A makes more widgets than team member B. Does that mean you put team member A into a leadership position? Right. Well, no, because they have no ability to manage people because their personality isn't that or they don't want to do that right, or you would right. know that. Right. It's almost impossible to tell that now. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of team members, unfortunately, because, you know, like all companies, we expanded dramatically during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know them more through a very brief interaction on a Zoom or Teams call right. versus stopping by and making rounds and, and really getting to know them or even traveling into market and getting to know them because we've right. always been kind of a, a, a spread out company. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'd be in market all the time talking to people, sitting down, having, you know, lunches or, mm-hmm. or dinners or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. And even that's a little bit a little bit different now. Right. Know? Yeah, you got to sit further apart, right? So sorry to answer your question with a uh, with a big uh, no, 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 no. It's postulation, good. no, there, no, and that's a, why I knew it was a curveball yeah. because uh, you, you know we hadn't really we we really hadn't gone there. So let's. So what inspires you? What drives you? What gets you out of bed every day? So you know, there's there's a, a mantra that that I like to use, which is iterate or die, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of a, I stole it from a from well a multitude of places, but there's a great book called Ask Your Developer, written by the guy who. Uh, who founded Twilio? Mm-hmm. Uh, coincidence that he went to the University of Michigan, but you of know, he's, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but but uh, you know, um, you know, and and really, it's kind of like this um, this survival of the fittest mentality that Darwin that, grow exactly, or die exactly. Yeah. So so you need to keep iterating, and so yeah. you know, it's it's a whole idea of find your core. And, you know, for me and, and I think any company that I'm ever going to be a part of, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's I die here or whether I, I find somewhere else, the bottom line is find your North Star. For us, it is being the absolute best purchase mortgage lender in the United States. And right. It's the customer first. Right. Right. It's an easy North Star to do. But then when you think of every project 
through that vein. So everything that comes through the door, you say, how does it impact my customer, mm-hmm. right? And your customer can be the realtor in our sense. Mm-hmm. It can be the borrower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be our own internal team members. Mm-hmm. How does it impact them? And if it's not going to impact them, right. I'm not going to waste custom development or amazing amount of time on it. Instead, I'm just going to find a solution that works. Right. 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 And, so, and so that's what keeps me passionate is this constant iteration. You know, we build stuff and it's ne- it never stops. Right. right. So I wake up every single day with, with whiteboard galore in my, uh, in my home office now, it used right, to be my right. office. Uh, you know, that's, that's just constant like vomiting of thoughts, yeah. um, of which I throw away, you know, 15 out of 16. Um, and so, so that's what keeps us going. I mean, we have a, we have a definite drive. We're, we're the largest affiliate purchase lender in the, in the country. Right. You know, we're, we're a top 20 purchase lender in the country, but we have a drive and our drive is to be in the top five. Yep. And so it keeps me up and knowing that we have 1500 team members and, and they all look to us to, to make sure their livelihood is there mm-hmm. uh, and that we continue to grow and we don't get stale. Uh, yep. You know, we don't get become irrelevant. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's really the, the passion from a work perspective, at least. Right, right. It sounds good. And, you know, I can tell you, being in the room with you and being in the room with Tim Wilson, both of you guys have an enormous amount of energy. You're just radiate energy, you know, and happiness and positive. <laughs> th- but you do. Yeah. You know, we try. We try. Yeah. yeah. We try. You, I, I, I can feel yeah. it in the air. Yeah. 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 So fantastic. So listen, Justin Messer. Uh, Chief Operating Officer of Prosperity Mortgage. Thanks so much for coming in. Really enjoyed the chat. It was it was awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. All right.